What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Canby Christian Church Podcast. This is an On Sunday episode. That's the episode of the podcast where the pastors of the church get together in a dank basement this week on a Wednesday mm-hmm. to talk about what happened on Sunday. That's why we call it On Sunday. I'm Cody. I'm Aaron. And I'm Rob. Rob, how you doing? Are you all... You're not officially in your new house. Yet. No. No, we've been transitioning some things, moving some things. Yeah, this week was a wild one, boys. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say I was like 80%, 80% over a cold. So if you notice, my voice is a little strange. <clears throat> it kind of hit me <clears throat> after church on Sunday and on Memorial Day, I was basically down for the count. Mm. Which, by the way, yes, yesterday, not yesterday, I'm sorry. Monday. days ago. Memorial Day, where we uh, celebrate all those who gave their life in service to the country, of course. Um, <clears throat> it's good to make mention of that. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. But as far as my last week, <clears throat> we, uh, <laughs> had some interesting events. I'll just continue the bird saga. Oh yeah. So as we left you last, did, did we podcast, talk about the no. bird? Oh, the last no. time <clears throat> you just played, all we talked about was the fact that there were birds in the, in the you pipe. played the audio. I heard a bird. I thought it was maybe a bird in, uh-huh. In my vent above the stove, so above the range, there's the hood, and that goes out to the side of the house. And I thought there was a bird that was stuck in it. And you heard that last time. But so this past week, I actually took down the range, disconnected it, opened the um, the the hood and all of that, and opened the vent. And I discovered that there was, a, I think, four birds, two of which were alive and two of which were carcasses. Already dead. And not like, like long dead? Horrible. No, I don't think it was that long because oh, they were... man. I think that they had died and these other birds to survive were pecking at oh them. Oh my Ooh, gosh. If I had to guess. How, how long has the house been empty? Several months. Oh my. Four or five months. Oh six months maybe. Oh man. Yeah, no, it, it hasn't had someone living in it for quite a while. Oh my. Uh, it's been viewed and stuff like that, but... I, when I viewed it, I never heard the birds. So I don't know how long they've been in there. Maybe <laughs> a on week their, or two. They put on their best behavior. I know. <laughs> <laughs> a couple weeks, but we discovered the birds. We obviously got rid of the carcasses. We helped these like frail birds out to the backyard. And then things really got crazy <laughs> because they fluttered around and they eventually found their way to the front yard. And this this horde of other birds swooped in on them. And there was at least six birds all fighting. Like we saw this happen. This big crow comes up bigger than these other sparrows. I think they were sparrows. And this thing, this crow just snatches this little bird that was in our vent that was frail and just starts tearing it apart. (laughs) And my poor kids are watching the whole thing in (laughs) shock. My son is like, the birds are fighting the birds. So I go out there. And I look in this. Wait, so you weren't even out there. Just Owen was watching it. Owen was watching by himself, by himself. Oh my God. And Piper was there too. At a loss. My My poor little children. And this crow just flies off with this bird in its beak. And it's just circle of life, man. These birds are getting, (laughs) they just got freed out of the vent. And then they got torn to shreds by this bigger bird who was looking for a good snack. So oh man, up, dude. it was crazy. I mean, but... write write the story down because <laughs> this is a sermon illustration somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's but yeah. out of the frying pan and into the fire. Basically, that is tragic. I thought I had set them free, and uh... <laughs> you you were like feeling so good about yourself. Yeah. I just did my good deed for the day. 
So that happened early <laughs> last week. And then my brother and sister, my sister and my brother-in-law came and visited us. They have five kids all under seven. So there was 11 of us in my house for about four days. And uh, that was exciting. Lots of fun. Kids <laughs> running around being crazy and wild. Um, so that was most of my week. We hung out with them and visited with them and stuff. We showed them around the church and my son, along with their sons, decided to put a single tissue on every uh, cushion in our every chair, <laughs> every chair in our sanctuary. <laughs> Why? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe they were they knew, they knew Cody. Cody they preaching. knew Cody was preaching. That's oh, probably man. What. they knew a tissue would be needed. <laughs> that was oh, my man. week. <clears throat> That's Aaron, funny. How about you? I mean, I finished my wall. My retaining oh, wall. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Ish. I finished it-ish. You don't I, have the earth poured. I, I need to get more, um, but uh, Greg Oja helped me with one row a week, like a few days ago, and then, because um, my truck has been somewhat out of commission, and then Andrew Kreitz helped me, um, I think that was Monday morning, yeah, with Memorial Day morning, to go and get um, the, the last layer and then I was able to sort of backfill some of the dirt in the retaining wall. And, uh, but so I, I have more dirt to get and I'm almost there. The good news is all the weeds are covered. And so it doesn't <laughs> look obnoxious anymore. Um, but that was now. definitely a win to get that done. It's been hanging over. I mean, I still have a lot more to do, but I've got to a point where I'm happy and it's not an eyesore anymore. Um, and then, uh, but you haven't moved the fence. No. No, that's, that's, be that's my big. June project. Yeah. The the May project was to get the wall built. Then the next month is to get the fence built. But anyway, it was, it was fun. Um, are you going to do that yourself or uh -huh. contract that out? You are? No, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. I mean, some things I refuse to do like work on cars. I'm not going to do that. But if there's like, I don't know, a woodworking project or landscaping or something like that. Yeah. Well, you have to pour concrete footings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though. I've I've done things like that before yeah. and uh didn't do very good. <laughs> and yeah. so I've learned a little bit on how <laughs> to do some things. Um but anyway, so I'm I'm going to do that next month sometime. Nice. And then uh other than that, I just have a cool golf story. I I played Let's in a, I played in a match play where it's like it's basically heads up, you know. You're playing against the person, it doesn't really matter what you shoot as long as you beat the person you're playing against and uh me and another guy teamed up and we were definitely the underdogs and we pulled it out in the end. We won two, hole, two holes up with one to play. So it was, it was super fun. We had a lot, we had a really good time. That was like Friday afternoon or something we played. Um, it was like elimination and these guys were significantly better golfers than us. I think they totally walked in thinking they're just going to smoke us. And they started out well and we were like, oh man, this is going to be a landslide victory. And then we ended up turning it around but it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the match play format. Um, so we get to continue on in the summer match play series, and these guys got eliminated round one. <laughs> wow, <laughs> one and done. Sorry, guys. Given the like Miami Heat treatment, dude. dude the it underdogs. Was, it was overcoming. so. It was so funny. It was. It was. Uh, it's like such a funny day. The he was like an older, a little bit older guy that we were playing against, and then another young guy. And the older guy just kind of said at the end, man, we didn't lose. We got beat. Today. <laughs> <laughs> wow. was, that feels good. It was awesome, dude. I mean, <laughs> they literally, they shot one over and one under. 
and and they lost like yeah. that. Anyway, we had a we had a really good time. So we'll see uh, how how the series continues on. I feel like we've got some momentum going. In. Very cool. <laughs> how about you, Cody? How coming was your in week? confident? Oh, good week. Yeah, we uh, uh, helped out with the walk for life. That's true. That was a, that was pretty a fun this weekend. Saturday, Quite yeah. a few people from our church were there. It was cool yep. to see. Um. Yeah. Prepared a message uh-huh. a little bit more. I I test ran it on the youth group. <laughs> not yeah. really. It wasn't even really written. You read your I, outline and main idea. Uh. Not even that. Uh. Not even that. I've I have focused a little bit more on Timothy mm. and challenging the kids. Like whether you see yourself as a leader or not, you may be. This might mm. be something. And uh, you know, as their mentor relationships, you should be looking at. Oh, okay. kind of a thing, you know, so almost more just the story of Timothy, but I did use the first part of the letter. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yesterday I, uh, we had, uh, dinner with friends and then I got it in my head that I need my garden going it's super late. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I went to ACE, uh, cause, uh, Yvonne Boring, uh, tells me black gold and chicken manure is going to get you good vegetables. Oh, nice. So I got a couple bags each and then went to Fred Meyer and got a smorgasbord and, huh? and well, and plants that were already growing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm starters. starting late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a pretty decent sized tomato plant. Right. A couple of them. Very cool. Um, but I saw like five people from church. Yo, yeah. All <laughs> buying vegetables. No, just like walking around oh, okay. Fred Meyer or, you know, whatever. So that's always yeah. kind of fun when you see a bunch of people from church around. And, yeah, that is cool. Speaking yeah. of gardening, I hear someone got a little bit crazy with the uh, torching of... <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> this is the second instance of one of our pastors burning things in their backyard. What happened, Aaron? I had my... Uh, I have four garden boxes in my backyard that are falling apart. Yeah. And I was torching weeds sure around the boxes, right? Okay. You have the big old five-pound propane tank. You do tank know the boxes are made of wood. Right, right, right. <laughs> but... So one, I knew I lit on fire and I (laughs) dumped a bunch of water on it and, and put it out. It was over, you know? So I leave about an hour later, I like look out in my backyard and one box is just fully like on fire on one side. (laughs) And I just, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I run outside, get the hose. It had been slowly burning for an hour? And it had been slowly burning, yeah, for an hour. And I didn't even really know I, I hit the torch on that side, on that other box. And anyways, I mean, it just completely roasted one side, <laughs> one corner of my Wow, man, that could have been bad. If you what's, what's interesting, though, is like it was burning into the dirt. Hmm. So like I hosed the dirt down, but... And that, two hours later, I go out there again, and the dirt is still on fire. And so I had to like, is there mulch or something in the dirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. like nice, like garden dirt. You yeah. Know? And uh, so it, you know, the embers had gotten in the dirt and was sort of burning underground, basically un- under the surface. Wow. And you just got to saturate it, basically. So I got it out, but it was. But no plant, no plants in them yet. No, okay. we we I've got all these other plans that for that area. Well, my boxes are falling apart, so I'm like I can't plant anything in them. Well, maybe you gotcha. just should burn them all. I know I thought about that. Just get rid of them by burning them, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You should have asked me because I <laughs> like the way what you want to do is hose it down first. Well, you want to burn weeds near Arborvita because if you. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you catch Arbor Vita on fire, like, you know right away. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just, poof, you know. There wasn't like an hour later I didn't realize, you know. Yeah, you got a so, chimney going. Yeah, right you there, only huh? want to torch weeds near things that are like explosively flammable. So you know right away. <laughs> no, and that's why I was like totally comfortable to do this because I, I didn't think that these would catch on fire. But anyway, they did. <laughs> And it was a good time putting it out. But I love the torch, man. It's so fun. I know. Like, I need to do my patio, but I'm not sure my wife will let me. No, you're you're totally gra- like, you're yeah. grounded from that. Yep. But anyway. Or my uh, neighbors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're in First Timothy. Yes, we are. First Timothy. You opened up. Kicking off a, a brand new series. Mm-hmm. Um, so First Timothy is a pastoral epistle, right? Which is... Uh, a, a genre, letter, a genre of yeah. biblical text. An epistle is a letter in the Bible, and uh, these are pastoral ones because they're giving instructions to pastors. First and Second Timothy are some of them, and those are the two that we'll be journeying through mm-hmm. for the rest of the summer. Um, so it's a very, very cool series. Um, the main idea from Sunday was that a healthy church must have leaders who know and protect true doctrine along with all its members. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we want to... Uh, we could talk about why we even picked this book for the summer. For sure. Uh, yeah, what I are we hoping we to learn? Why uh, Why are we calling it Roots of a Healthy Church? Although I might have already given that away by talking about pastoral epistles. But uh, um, what do you think? Yeah, that's I, some of that. I think before we get into the your actual sermon and text, though, we ought to read it. But we can talk generally about First and Second Timothy first. Yeah. I think that's that'd be a good idea. Why, why these books over the summer? Well... <laughs> I mean, on a practical level, we were just looking for a series that would take us into the early part of September. Right. And so when we looked at a New Testament or even Old Testament letters or small books, um, you know, First and Second Timothy just sort of penciled out to be, I don't know, what is it, 12, no, 16 weeks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's closer to that. Yeah. So it just worked out that uh, for the summer schedule, um, I mean, obviously any book of the Bible that you go through is going to be amazing and it's going to shape your church in some way. Every book is relevant, um, whether you're in the book of Daniel or Habakkuk or First Timothy or whatever. I mean, I it's always a question of how do you choose what book to preach through? And I think there's definitely like a art or a relationship with it. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you pick a book, it's going to be great. And if you invest in it, but specifically, I think with Timothy and focusing on a healthy church and what does that take, I think as we continue to move forward as a church, I think there's conversations that need to be had. And as we have a bunch of new people in our church, uh, I guess a rapid influx of new people over the last year, nine months, whatever. Yeah. Really since after COVID. Sure. Yeah. The last close to two years, but yeah. I, I think that it's good to have conversations um, with people of what what does it matter or what does it take in order to have the church you want to have? Mm. And then you even say that, challenging people on their desires of what they're looking for in a church. Um, because I think some people want like a great kids program. Okay, great. But an unhealthy church can have a really fun kids program. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I ran into a guy and this was a while ago and, and he was saying they were going to another church and 
he was like, oh yeah, my, my son loves it. And the son was right there. He's like maybe nine. He's like, oh yeah, I love it. They've got Xbox down there <laughs> and I can play, you know? And he's like, well, I mean, you know, they're like also teaching you about Jesus and stuff, you know, like, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Your kid likes going somewhere. And that's an extreme example, but it's also that not that extreme. Like your kids love things because they have bounce houses or they have this or, or they give good snacks there or whatever, you know? Um, I mean, obviously kids can love a church because of relationship. You don't want them to hate it, but there's other factors of like a healthy church. Right. And <laughs> I think that Christians eventually run into the unhealth and then they're like, wait a second, what, what just happened? And, and I'll be like, well, you were going to an unhealthy church this whole time. You chose it because the kids program was fun mm-hmm. right. or because you liked the music there. And the music was uh, loud and engaging or whatever, you know, whatever sort of preferential thing doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. And then when things go wrong, you're like, wait, what happened? It's like, well, because you were focusing on these other things. I think in your sermon, you talked about entailments, right? Mm-hmm. which could be related to this. Yeah, which but, we're going to get there later, I think. Yeah, in the conversation. I think we should. But anyway, I think anytime you're having a conversation about what is a church and reshaping your desires of what you're looking for in a church and then learning about your role and how to cultivate that and how to experience that, yeah. I think is always going to be a good thing. And so yeah. that's what we're experiencing, going to go through in first and second Timothy. Absolutely. Yeah. And you gave a good illustration in your communion. Mm. Uh, maybe you could repeat that, but essentially talking about the fruit, like yeah. if you want to have healthy fruit, Right. Then you have to have leaders and people who are willing to cultivate right. relationships and being close to. Yeah. And I think, I think the, yeah, it was the whole like eating the peach and wow, this is the best peach I've ever had. Um, it was, it was a story that my last pastor told and uh, our last pastor told Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, and then asked the farmer, how do you get such great peaches? And the punchline was the farmer's shadow has to fall on the tree. And essentially it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Like yeah. you got to put in work and everybody, the pastor, the member, like it doesn't just happen. Um, a church is like a garden. If you don't tend it, till it, fertilize it, it's going to produce weeds and it's not going to produce the fruit you want. Yeah. And so you just got to be engaged constantly and it's always on the verge of deteriorating. <laughs> like, you can't ever take your foot off the throttle, your hands off the steering wheel, your eyes off of where you're going. The moment you do, you've lost it. And I think that that's, it takes great intentionality and, and, and all the way to the end. Like that, and I think that's where the letter ends of 2 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul is like, I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. And, but the good fight, he tells Timothy to wage in the section that you're getting into this week, this upcoming Sunday, yeah, where he says in verse 18, uh, wage the good warfare. <laughs> and the good warfare is preserving the gospel, pushing toward having healthy churches, a healthy church in Ephesus, but as an overflow, healthy churches wherever. And that's, that's the warfare. And I think it goes all the way to the end. I mean, you're never stop yeah. waging that war and it is, and and we'll see these illustrations come up. It's a trifecta. It's the uh, the the hardworking farmer, the soldier, 
and what's the other one I'm the missing? Athlete. The athlete, the, the, the athlete right? who runs the race. Um, and he uses those as illustrations. Like if you want the, if you want the W, you got to work hard. Mm. If you want the fruit, then you got to, your farm, the farmer's shadow has to fall on the trees. <laughs> and you yeah. see what I'm saying? So, I mean, he yeah. uses these illustrations. Yeah. Um, no, and yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, the, both of those things, uh, point at like the, the farmer has to have a shadow fall on the tree. Uh, obviously is like, that's the secret to the good fruit. You know, like you're saying, yeah. it's, it's the punchline because it's obviously having a shadow fall on a tree doesn't actually do anything to the fruit, right? but it's like a it's really a clever way to summarize a lot of things that yeah. this farmer did because his shadow kept touching the, and you know, to think the shadow caused it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think the same, you know, as we're talking about the church, you know, uh, people talk about how, uh, reading parenting books you know like did the was this parenting book the thing that made you a better parent or is the fact that you're the type of parent who would go read a book to strategize how to be a better parent playing a bigger role than even the book you read you know Mm. um and i think that can hopefully be us too um obviously this is the bible this book we're reading so it's going to help us a lot um, but the fact that we are the type of church and the type of congregation that cares to say what makes us more healthy, how can we do it together, um, you know, even just having a, a series like this summarizes right. the attitude that we're all hopefully taking toward being the best church yep. that we can be and representing God the best we can yep. um, and holding on to truth the best we can, all of that. Well, and I, I think uh, the series is called Roots of a Healthy Church. And I think one of the things that Paul is doing in this letter, like it's different than the other epistles because he's writing just to churches like in Ephesus or Colossians or or whatever. This is like written to a pastor who's at a church, but the letter would be read publicly to the church. Right. And so it's indirectly written to the church, whereas the other ones are written directly just to the church. This one is written to Timothy with the rest of the church in mind. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for, you know, as we go through the series to recognize that it is a personal letter, but it's indirectly talking about every believer in the church. But in one sense, roots of a healthy church, when you walk into a church, you see something. You, You visualize, okay, I see the music, I see, I hear what's being taught. I, all my senses are being engaged. Um, I'm having conversations with people, all this other stuff, but the question subconsciously comes into your mind of what's going on behind closed doors. What's the conversations that are happening in this church that I'm not a part of. And I I remember, um, I'll, I'll pick on him for a moment, but Steve Santos, when he first came first visit to the church, he came, he walked in, he sat in and then he cornered Sean Benetti. Uh, and, and that's maybe a harsh way of putting it. And I don't mean it that way. <laughs> Only to say that he, he found Sean Benetti, he is an elder, and he starts asking a bunch of questions about the leadership of the church. Tell me how the leadership of this church is organized. Because Steve knows, I can see all of this on the surface. Yeah, I can see these people hanging out. I can see the coffee in the fellowship hall. I can see the music on the stage. Everything was done well. But tell me about what's going on behind closed doors, because that's going to 
that's going to help me determine if this is a place that I want to continue to be a part of and plug in and invest in and be be a disciple here and ex- and express my discipleship to Jesus here. Right. And I think that unfortunately a lot of Christians don't don't try and push to that level. Um because there's a lot of churches that have a lot of fake fruit hanging there. And you know like the fake fruit baskets on your table, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, "Oh, look at how pretty that is." And you bite into it and it's not delicious. You know, it's <laughs> it's fake. It's manufactured. And and so yeah, it can look really cool from the outside, but when you get into the roots of what's going on underground, under the surface, yeah. Then you're then you're realizing, "How do I get that on the tree? How do I not manufacture things it, it all happens down under under the ground and other illustrations are used like you know when you get behind the curtain you see how the sausage is made right. <laughs> and whatever whatever yeah. you know could have called it that sausages yeah <laughs> how, how they're the, made <laughs> how the sausage is made <laughs> oh that would be funny um yeah but I, I agree i think that's what paul's doing a little bit even you mentioned this Cody, he's taking your, the church your, behind the behind the veil yeah. under under the ground and he's almost giving timothy some credentials which i think is oh, what you sure. pointed out like paul is helping the church see this is timothy and i trust him and this is mm-hmm. why here's the instructions right. i give him he knows these things you know so i think there's some of that too yeah to oh, encourage yeah. his position and help them to see his viability and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah. so well as a tradition um, a lot of like when a new pastor is installed in a church somewhere, like it's their first Sunday. Yeah. Usually what happens traditionally is you have some big name, you know, like uh, either in that denomination or within that association or network of churches or even just a well-known person within broader Christianity where they come in and they do your installation service and uh, actually, I listened to one not that long ago um, by uh, Stephen Lawson. Um, he was he was doing an installation service for a guy, and he was preaching something out of Exodus and sort of connecting it to this new pastor coming mm. in and sort of his relationship to the church, but their relationship to him and how they need to support him and these kinds of things. But... I mean, when Stephen Lawson comes in, this is a well-esteemed, well-established professor, seminary professor, conference speaker, pastor, all of this stuff. He can come in like the Apostle Paul and drop the hammer and just speak clearly, articulately about how things are supposed to be done. And that's like what Paul is doing here for for Timothy. Yeah, yeah. In regard to like an installation sort of service, you know? Yeah. But for sure. And we're going to see a lot about... Uh, details of, in fact, you know, he tells us in chapter three, which you reference in your sermon uh, in verse 15, the reason why he's writing, he wants to visit them, of course, but he's saying in verse 15 that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Mm, heck yeah. That really fun well, I word. Think, I think that was a great text to bring up in the very beginning here. Because the question is, to what end? Right. Like, okay, you want a healthy church. For what reason? Hmm. So that I can just have a good experience and not experience church drama? Like, for what reason? Right. And and at the end, Paul's saying, because if you don't, we've lost the gospel. Like, we have lost basic Christian faith. 
and we've lost our light in the world. Like right. we have just lost it. So the church is the point and the church is the avenue by which God is bringing the gospel and salvation to a lost and dying world. And so if you just lose the gospel then and you start focusing on the entailments like you were talking about, like there's a lot of ways you can lose the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and they're going to be brought up in some ways in in this letter in the second letter. Um, th- then basically we've lost this one thing that the Lord established. Yeah. And there's an urgency in these letters, set, certainly in the next one, to Paul of like, hey, I'm out of here and this is all <laughs> on you. You know, like yeah. you better man up and handle this because salvation matters based on this. Obviously, yeah. salvation is the Lord. He's going to make it happen. And Paul trusted in God's sovereignty in that. At the end of the day, we still have a responsibility right. from the gospel's call to us to preserve this great truth for the sake of the lost. And so it, it matters a great deal yeah. that we preserve church health because nothing's more damaging to the Christian witness than a church that goes sour. Um, I mean, there was a f- that famous podcast a couple of years ago, the <laughs> rise and fall of Mars Hill. A couple of years ago. A couple been of years long? ago. Yeah. I guess it I has. think it's been a while. Yeah. When the podcast came out. But a large influential church in the Northwest and Seattle based and multiple campuses and a large influential pastor and they stink and implode. Mm-hmm. They, they rose real fast and then they crashed even faster. Um, and, and everybody's sort of looking around confused, jaded, yeah, uh, messed up. Some people even quote unquote deconstructing from their faith, right? All because of an unhealthy church. Yeah. And so, and that was a church that even had like a little bit of depth to their teaching. Totally. Yeah. Um, And so I think, you know, when you see it happen to a church with even less depth to the teaching that it doesn't have a conviction to preach the word, like God's word, but just preach whatever is coming to mind. Like when those, when it happens there, you see even more people fall away. For sure. Um, And so, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's going to be the subject of chapter three, or qualifications of overseers, because the oh, issue yeah. the issue there wasn't the teaching per se; it was the character qualities of the leader and yep. those around him, right? And that's why it imploded. So that's why it's like like Steve Santos's question. Oh, cool, great sermon. What's the leadership structure like? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I've used the phrase before, like the second most important thing about any church aside from the gospel it preaches, which is the number one important thing is the leadership structure of that church. And, and that's what a lot of Christians just don't really care to figure out or see how it matters. Um, but he's going to get into that in that third chapter and even actually into the second chapter that I'm going to get to in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of great subjects that we're going to hit, but I think what's cool is the whole roots idea. We're going past the surface of just experiencing the fruit and we're actually getting to, how do you have that? And, and we're answering the question that my last pastor, <laughs> pastor asked, you know, how do you have such great peaches? You know, <laughs> well, let's get under the surface. This is how, and, right. and Paul's going to take us under the surface and and he's taking Timothy there, but he's taking the rest of the church there 
so that he can show them how they are to have a healthy church. Don't do these things and instead do these things. And it's going to be very countercultural. And certainly in a couple of weeks, it's going to rub people wrong. (laughs) Some could. Some people. Um, But this is how you have it. So what do you want? You know, you want to do it God's (laughs) way or do you want to do it your own way? Right. And expect God to respond in that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. a fun series. Absolutely. I, that's, <clears throat> I really appreciated your title and I'm curious if you meant it multiple ways. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cause the title is the highly charged household. Obviously highly charged household. Yeah. That we are given a very yeah. important charge, yes. which is introduced here and then repeated multiple times throughout the letter. Right. To, we have a hard, high charge. It's a highly charged subject. I think I said truth is a highly charged subject. Yeah. It, it was a little bit of a play on words. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, churches can be highly charged place when there's like differences of opinion, yeah, when yeah. there's conflict, which was your sort of main yeah. topic. Right. Um, right. A subject can be charged. An atmosphere can be charged. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting because, yeah, his, his charge was to address false teaching. Yeah. yeah. But the aim of his charge was love yeah right like this is coming from a loving place and i'm doing these things because i love you and because i love the church it's not because i think i'm smarter than you or that i think you're dumb or that you don't matter or that you're whatever it's because i love you that we're having these conversations um but it made me think uh my old professor he had this convert or this truism about leadership about when you're a leader and you walk into a meeting that's intense, your main objective is to reduce the tension. And it made me think of that. I thought of that with your title, a highly charged household. Like, yes, Timothy was to engage in the conflict, but it wasn't to add more charge, more electricity. (laughs) It was to address the issue while also pastorally lovingly reduce the tension in the room. That's yeah. hard to do. Right. Um, and, but I think Timothy was probably the guy to do it. And Paul probably knew that. Yeah. Um, and he was helping him to yeah. do that here. You, you mentioned the Philippians text where he says like, I have no one like Timothy. Did you yeah. reference that? Or I did. I, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, really yeah. I've good. known who, uh, gen, I think there's, who will show a genuine concern for your welfare yes. is like the thing he says about That's him. Right. Uh, what yeah. Is that reference. Do you remember or no? What do you mean? The rep? Oh, Philippians four. I think it's in four. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate I you sharing that just because I think it was helpful. So you can get an idea of his character. Yeah. A little bit, you know, of how he cares about people. Mm-hmm. Timothy cares about people, but at the same time, uh, he's still young. We know he's mm-hmm. younger and he's learning and he has, yeah, he's dealing with <coughs> how to overcome these issues and these tensions. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought you did a pretty good job. <laughs> apparently, a, like we'll see later in the letter, apparently a sick a bunch while he's That's there true. pastoring. Like, yeah, there's a few things with Timothy. Which that honestly could be related to how much stress he's probably dealing with. <laughs> yeah, totally. He's like, dude, you have stomach issues. Take a little <laughs> little wine with your water to keep your tummy yeah. feeling good. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things we learn about Timothy and their relationship, mm-hmm. his relationship with Paul, but it's all sort of hinted at. Like we have to take the clues from the words that we see in the text yeah. to try to understand. So um, anyways. And that's where, yeah, I think when I when I was discussing this with the youth group, I talked about it as if Timothy is this super 
shy, conflict averse guy. I don't know. I mean, the more that I look at it, I don't know. Yeah. Like it, the, those are all just guesses, right? Like, because if you look at the actions Timothy's described as doing, you would have zero hint that he is timid or unsure of himself because Paul is just sending him to churches that have problems. He's like, you go represent me, you go represent me, and he goes yeah. and he goes and he goes. Um, it's just hints within the texts that make us think maybe. Um, where like, you know, the Corinthian text where he says like, put Timothy at ease when he gets there. Um, yeah, I mean, you might, you could say that because you think someone is shy and you're worried about him. You could also just say that. You know, like help him on his way. You could say that because you know he won't ask for help or you might just say that. Like right. they're, like we're making some pretty big jumps by just going like, <coughs> for sure, Timothy's yeah. timid, you know? I mean, they're uh, edu- I educated know. I guesses. don't know about big jumps. Educated they're not guesses. big, they're not, yeah, they're not big jumps. It's mentioned enough uh, that you, that, yeah, that it's reasonable. It's reasonable. It's reasonable to yeah. guess it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not totally sure that that's like just a fact that <laughs> you Timothy shouldn't be was so shy. dogmatic. I think like, you don't yeah. want to be too extreme, but yeah, the clues that we have, it seems that that's that that does indicate that Timothy has some fear. Second Timothy, he says, you know, that whole God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of a sound mind. It seems like there's a lot of different indications where we see some of those elements yeah. of his. Well, character. this we know for sure. He wasn't lazy. No, no, no. For sure. And and so timidity, which is actually uh, Brent Boswell said, that's Timothy is where the word, the etymology of the word timid comes from. I I mean, I didn't fact check that, but I'm like, that's pretty interesting. I mean, mean, Brent Boswell's pretty smart. So I'm going to believe it, (laughs) at least on the surface. It sounds cool. Yeah. Well, like uh, maybe somewhere. Like, or are you saying timid comes from the name word, Timothy? The name okay. Timothy, yeah. Not, not Timothy means timid. No, okay, yeah. yeah. But okay. the word timid, the history of that word comes from this idea. Because so, it, I mean, it's traditional in this in the understanding of Timothy that he was timid, that he was mm-hmm. right, like you said, a conflict averse, and um, but we know he wasn't lazy, yeah. and we know he was a hard worker. We know he was passionate about the gospel. But he had things working against him that I think may caused conflict, hmm. like the fact that he was half Jew, half Greek. Yep. So in one sense, like we would see that as a win, right? Like, cool, <laughs> yeah. you can minister to a diverse group. Right. But in in a culture and society where that's not necessarily they it's more isolationist people get more clicky yeah which the church of corinth was very clicky yeah they're elevating sort of oh i'm of peter i'm of paul um or i'm a part of this group or i'm a part of that group and then you've got this like half breed they're like and he's young yeah and probably had no money and they're like, dude, get this guy out of here. You know, well, they probably just ravaged him. Yeah. And for the Jewish people among whatever Jewish people there were in Corinth that were Christians also, like the uh, Timothy would be an illegitimate child yep. of a Jewish woman yep. from a non-Jewish father, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's where some, one of the commentators, you know, wondered if Paul calling Timothy his true child in the faith. Yeah. Because that's like... A legit, you're my legitimate child in the faith. Yeah, uh, if that wouldn't carry some significance for Timothy, who probably was called an illegitimate child by mm-hmm. many people from the Jewish culture for as sure. he was young. 
Well, yeah. second second Timothy certainly gets more into his his like credentials because second Timothy they're they're uh they're sort of pushing against him because of bloodlines. And and Timothy doesn't necessarily have a good one. And so Paul is writing and saying, "Hey, they had they appeal to their bloodline, but you have the real thing. You have faith." Yeah. And they don't have that. They're not appealing to that. And so, but you have this bloodline, your grandma taught you the scriptures, your mother taught you the scriptures, and I yeah. taught you the scriptures, and we laid our hands on you. And it's not about blood, but about faith. And so that certainly is an issue. And and that that happens in churches all the time. Like, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I mean, there were conversations like that when I got here to Canby, like... Everybody was related to somebody when I first got here, you know, yeah, yeah. and everybody was related or indirectly related or knew somebody. And I was this outsider from California <clears throat> moving to Oregon. You were the Timothy? No, I'm just saying like, this is, this is a, a common experience yeah, yeah. where you get an outsider comes in and the people who are there are sort of all, it's not about the church family. It's about family, family. It's about blood lines, and and that can obviously be impossible to break into, and that's unhealthy, and that's not evangelistic. Um, it's not kingdom-minded, those kinds of things. Those were the kinds of things that Timothy was running up against. But initially, the first and, – and that gets into the whole genealogies thing. Yeah. Which which family are you from? What bloodline right. are you from? Yeah. And it's like, dude, this is, this is endless, pointless, mm-hmm. debased – <laughs> conversations. Yep. Yeah. And and then and then Paul gets into that uh right away. Um I didn't mean to to put this text on you Cody because I thought that you were <laughs> No. It was a prank, right? That was timid. <laughs> um no, that was more of a joke than It anything, was basically sure. you were next up on the rotation and you wanted to take a break. <laughs> Dude, you yeah, know, that's but exactly God right. in his providence, I thought he is providential. You, you had some weight behind what you were saying, which was really helpful. You know what's funny is uh Emily and I <laughs> were discussing yesterday something um that someone had said and uh and I was like, oh, you know, this one's not really a big deal. She pointed out something about it that was like, oh, actually, that's that's problematic. That like that type of thinking is problematic. What type I, of thinking? It, well, uh, uh, an undescribed situation. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> where I'm okay. saying that what this this thing that's happening not a big deal. And she pointed out like, well, that's actually what's being said there. It's problematic in that that attitude with what's being said would lead to this thing, right? Oh, okay. And I'm like, well, that's actually a really good point. And I was like, dang, why'd you say that? Because I probably should address that now that I see clearly what that leads to. I probably oh, I should see. address that, you know? And I was like, and I from the kitchen, I was like, I think this is one, like probably, I think I might just like, adopt a policy of silence on this and just kind of let it go, you know, like sarcastically. And I was like, stupid Bible, like (laughs) preaching sermons that immediately apply to my life in a way I don't want to fulfill. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Well, your, I mean, your illustration at the end with the policy of silence and sort of the war, World War II and Japanese bombs and 
how the U.S. took that policy of silence. It, it, I was telling you already, but it reminded me of that. Uh, another illustration that I heard at a conference that was focused on like church discipline and dealing with conflict and things like that. Um, well, at least the talk was focused on that. And he gave an illustration from a movie. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the, the movie. Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker. Yeah, thank you. And it was all about like a guy who basically like uh, gets Trip rid of wire, like a gets story. rid of landmine right. bombs, and so he'll see these wires and basically follows the wire to the bomb, and then uh, basically disassembles it right. or whatever makes yeah. it so it doesn't go off diffuse it yeah diffuse it thank you and uh but there's one scene where he's pulling the wire and then he pulls the wire up and then he realizes he's surrounded by wires hmm. and the enemy had basically laid these landmines all over the place and he used that illustration to say that the enemy does that to yeah. your church hmm. he lays landmines down all over the place and those landmines are the form of gossip, immoral sin, slander, yeah. undermining, uh, <laughs> you know, just division, yeah. all kinds reviling of reviling is when we've like been That's true. we were looking at recently someone who just yeah. like accuses others like of things that aren't legitimately like mm -hmm. true of them, where they right. have this terrible thing this thought in the back of their head or others have the thought in the back of their head and now the relationships are all tainted right yeah or or a false teaching a false doctrine, false a, teaching, a, doctrine a, yeah. a bad belief that's being held by one or several um you you have all of these things and what you see on the surface is just dirt but underneath right underneath the surface there's bombs being laid by the mm -hmm. enemy all over the place and i think that it, it, like pastoral ministry and even to some degree church, you know, regular church members are, are always thinking, I mean, we're in a, we're in a spiritual battle. That's why he says, wage the good warfare. And the enemy is constantly laying these bombs all over the place. I mean, there's direct attack and then there's indirect attack. And, and that would certainly be one of them. And we need to warn our people, but we also as leaders are responsible to defuse those bombs. Like we can't just have a policy of silence. Nope. We also can't have a policy of negligence. Hmm. We can't like we can't know it's there and not do something about it. We yeah. have to go do something about it. And yeah. and I think that's what this charge is in the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, that's like, how he ends verse four, right? Where he says, uh, rather than so the, there's these endless genealogies, these things that are promoting speculations. Rather than this is the thing that he says we ought to be doing, which is stewardship from God that is by faith. And then he gets into the charge, yeah. which you spent some time in that word stewardship. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you looked right. at kind of a word study in different. I, I was just curious. Yeah. yeah. Like that was a pretty interesting thing to hear about. What was the definition you gave for that word? Uh, oikonomia is li it's literally household. Management. And management or yeah. dispensation. Like those which is two words what, yeah, smushed together. Household about. management. Well, yeah, which that's why. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's where we get the English word economy. You know, mm. it sounds fairly similar. Yep. Um, and yeah, a lot of people, I, yeah, uh, years ago at a church, we did a, a pretty extensive, or it was part of a small group curriculum uh, where they looked at this word, oikonomia, and, uh, you know, there were some professors and videos that discussed it. There's conferences on this word, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so it was interesting. You know, I mean, you could go all over the place to study it, like in Luke's gospel of the, uh, you know, the shrewd uh, manager. Yeah, the shrewd manager. That's he is oikonomos or whatever. Yeah. You know, like he's he's the household manager. He's just weird. But it's interesting to look at, you know, I just did a brief one of the book of Ephesians because Ephesians is, that, which is what's cool about the series in general. We can look at what's being asked of this pastor. We can also look at at least a snapshot of some of the teachings that Paul already gave this church directly. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be able to look at directions to the pastor and directions to that church and mm-hmm. make the connections is kind of a fun, that interesting cool. thing to be able to do. Uh, but yeah, in Ephesians, it's like God's plan, you know, is that oikonomia, God's like household mm-hmm. management, household dispensation or whatever is like uniting humanity under Christ. Um, and then Paul is the steward of that God's grace mm-hmm. is the same word. And then it's like this mystery that's been hidden for ages uh, is this oikonomia that God is displaying to the heavenly realms through the church. You know, it's like, so it's interesting to look at this plan, this dispensation of wealth throughout the household, you know, it's all it's all tied up in that. And then when you think about it, wow, we're stewards of that. <laughs> stewards of God's grace, stewards of God's like magnificent plan for all of humanity mm-hmm. and his plan to display his wisdom in heaven, even realms that we don't like exist in right now, heavenly yeah. realms. Like if you think of that, we're stewarding that and we're talking genealogies <laughs> and we're right. making up the, maybe this should be the rule that you follow. And you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. And so that, I think that the weight of that word, cause the point I made was like this type of frivolous, wasteful, divisive conversation is, it's uneconomical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is a squandering of a very, like, precious resource and wealth, you know? Yeah, that's Um, really good. Yeah. Well, and and the word that promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God. I love that, like, there's some people who want to stir up conversations that are just waste time. Yeah, And they know there's really no answer to, right? These are like philosophical discussions. And I like philosophical discussions, but some people just like to scratch their heads. I had this, I have this uncle and I love, I I mean, I love him. But when I became a Christian, he was very antagonistic. And he would ask me these unanswerable questions. You know, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Like he didn't, (laughs) he, he didn't ask me that question. But he would ask me questions. But that's the like, vibe of the yeah. questions. <laughs> like I remember one was like, um, after Adam ate of the tree, what do you think would have happened if he was able to run to that tree of life and eat that fruit before God? What do you think would have happened? <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea. And it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it, random... it literally didn't happen. But what if it did? Well, they were already eating of the tree of life. That one, that one wasn't but off limits. Post, post. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eating they would have fruit. lived forever in I sin or something. I think that's exactly. missing the point. It's missing it. the point. I'm not sure that. It's literally like, why are you focusing on something that is so off the radar? <laughs> it's not even on the radar. Yeah. Like it's it's a dumb like, speculation. Dude, I'm f- I want to argue with it right now because <laughs> right. it's 
And you're, it's yeah, just fun. In your, in, in our, I really know, want to argue that right now, and it's a total waste of this total podcast waste. time. <laughs> but, but he would, he would say these things to me, and he would ask me these unanswerable questions that are like, how about we just talk about Jesus? How about we just talk about Jesus? Let's talk about, he wouldn't want to talk about that. He wouldn't want to talk about the basic elementary topics of the gospel. Right. He wanted to, have these conversations about speculations that led to nowhere because he wanted to waste my time and, and make it feel like I can't answer biblical questions. It's like, but that's not a biblical question. Yeah. And you're, you're taking something and running with it off the radar. And, and that's what people do. They just like to either like sound smart or just waste your time. Right. And Which is, I mean, that's the interesting part as this passage progresses, like, cause we get this description of these these people, they are teaching a different doctrine. Okay, red flag. Okay, it has to do with speculation and all this stuff. But then as as the <laughs> instructions of Timothy develop even more, we find out that they're trying to be teachers of the law. Yeah. So it wasn't just wasteful speculation. There was like kind of two parts of that. Like that's a that's a big thing that we <laughs> should watch out for in our churches. If we're wasting everyone's time with just like because I agree, debating theology is fun sometimes. If we can acknowledge that some theology, there's two main sides of this because it's not fully answerable yet, <coughs> um, and we can debate it and have fun, and it's never really uh, going to be that important um, necessarily because we know that it's not fully answered yet, but then these people become teachers of the law. This is what they're trying to do. So their speculation, they've also taken their speculations and elevated them to the point that they feel like they can hold others accountable to right. have to act a certain way or have to hold a certain view based on their random speculations. Right. Well, and that becomes even more problematic. He says the thing, or uh, they don't know what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. I mean, this was written 2000 years ago, roughly. And we see this same attitude today. Somebody watches one one YouTube video or they read one blog or even five blogs of an, of a personal opinion of somebody who's not even, you know, an expert or whatever. They read these things and then they think they know everything about something and uh, about the Bible or whatever. And it's like, they make confident assertions. This is what it is. And where did you learn that? And then yeah. they say, Oh, I watched this video. Dude, that video is literally the worst. Like <laughs> it, it, there's nothing intelligent or like peer reviewed yeah. or challenged about it. It's just some crazy con Bible conspiracy theorist on YouTube posting a video and, and convinced you of something and now you're running with it and it's dangerous obviously. <laughs> and, but yeah. people are looking for something to sink their teeth into, I think. And so when you have somebody who says something very confidently they could be selling you a bill of goods, you know, right. yeah. but they said it so confident. Oh, well, they, they look like they know what they're talking about. And, and that's how people are led astray by false teachers and yeah. things like that. And so anyway, I think that it's just something to be aware of. And just because some, somebody says something so confidently, we need to be the Bereans still and go back and <laughs> test it to the scriptures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, is that what the scriptures are actually teaching and know the word for ourselves? The best defense against heresy and believing heresy is knowing the truth yeah. really well. Right. And that's why Paul is essentially telling him, Timothy, this is how you're going to do it primarily. 
preach the word that gets into later on. Yeah. But you got to enter into some of these discussions. Yeah. And, call he, and he calls them out. vain discussions. So yeah. these people are seeking their own elevation, yeah. their own power, their vanity. They're feeding their vanity yeah. by taking these roles as law teachers with these vain speculations. And such yeah. a good point. I mean, and that, and yeah, I think it was interesting. I thought it would be good fuel for discussion. And when we did this passage for youth group, one of our small group questions was, why would someone try to make up? You know, why would someone try to make up these beliefs and, and, you know, to for, I can't remember the phrasing, but it was a, it basically has a question. Why do you think these guys would be acting like this? And there was basically no discussion off of that question because immediately both in middle school and high school, these kids were like, oh, you get power. (laughs) You're like, you're in control. (laughs) You're in control. Yeah. Yeah. If if you, if you know stuff, no one else knows and you can convince everybody like you, like they would get power out of it. And I thought it would be like, oh, it might take us a minute to get there. Right, right. And even for like a middle schooler, immediately they were like, oh yeah, you get, you have all the control and all the power. Yeah. Like that's why you do it. You get power. <laughs> well, it was like not a secret, not, not hard to diagnose even right. for a, a young teenager who mm-hmm. isn't involved in church or politics and in any like, you know, <laughs> way really. Way, yeah. yeah. Well, it, I mean, literally the end of the letter goes there uh, in chapter six. He's talking about false teachers and he says, he, that is the false teacher, is puffed up. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Right. (laughs) And so they're like, I'm going to pretend to be something because it will get me whatever that thing is, whether it's money or position or influence um, or an agenda fulfilled. And I I remember at at my last church interviewing a lady who was interviewing for a position as an administrative assistant. And she had a PhD. She had, or no, she was working on her PhD. She had two master's degrees and she's interviewing to be my administrative assistant. And I'm like, you're clearly well overqualified. Like what's going on? And I find out she's got her own nonprofit. And I'm like, I know what's going on here. You want to work here at this mega church so that you can put this on your resume so that it'll benefit your nonprofit. And oh my gosh, mega churches have that issue all the time hmm. where people come in with their agendas because what they see is a big sea of people <clears throat> and so they can come in there and advance their agenda or their business or their nonprofit and use your church to do it. And that happens all the time. And I think that, you know, he doesn't specifically say because you don't need to specify. There's a multitude of ways that people see, <coughs> I'm going to join the church because it's going to gain me this right. over here. Right. I mean, this is the, the guy, the wizard in the book of Acts. Um, what's his name? Simon? Yeah, I was just looking. At, I think that's right. Simon the Simon? wizard? Something like that. And he, he, you know, he saw the power that the apostles had. Yeah. And he's like, hey, that's kind of cool. I'll believe in Jesus. And yeah. then he eventually is like, how do I buy this Holy Spirit off yeah, you? Let me buy this. Like, thing. dude, your money perish <laughs> I want, with you. I you want know, this trick to be my trick. To be my trick. Because <laughs> he had power. Yeah. And he, he wanted 
uh, influence over the people, and he yeah. saw that they were getting it through the truth. Yeah, and Simon, Acts chapter eight, right? exactly. Yeah, one of the like historical accounts I was reading about Ephesus pointed out this. Uh, you can find this, you know, kind of announcement about this woman who is like a high, some sort of representative from that temple of Artemis mm-hmm. that's there in Ephesus. Um, just like you know, an edict about how amazing she is and even uses some of its language that's kind of similar to how women are described in first Timothy saying like how modest she is and how she's this and how, you know, um, and so you could see how in a culture like that, any religion could be seen as a way to have status in society. If you just get celebrated and pointed out and, you know, and, and people have to walk through the streets saying hooray about you or whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and in Uganda, for example, like there are guys who, you know, want to be pastors because they are held in honor in the community even, and they have a certain social status there. Um, You're like, you know, this holy man walking the streets and, and there's people who just want that esteem. And so they aspire to, ministry because they think they're going to get this personal sort of accolade. And obviously that's a satanic desire for ministry and he is going to chew you alive and spit you out. And I mean, I think we could all say that we've experienced friends, you know, people when we were younger who had not the best of desires or intentions when getting into ministry. Their perspective was, I will get this out of it. Wouldn't that be cool if I had that? And then they get into ministry and then a few years later, they realize how hard it is and how unglamorous it really is. And then they're like, I made a bad decision and they implode and they leave and they go somewhere else, you know? And uh, another professor of mine had the phrase, uh, rising stars in their 20s become shooting stars in their 30s and 40s because A, expectations weren't met because their expectations were unbiblical and selfish um, or they just didn't have the time to develop the character to withstand all of the difficulty that would come um, and and develop that perseverance. And so uh, it, it just, yeah, I think it just happens. And I think it's, Something to be aware of. And I think that's why in part, we'll, we'll see this in this upcoming Sunday, Paul gets into his own story of how he was puffed up, he was prideful, mm. and Jesus knocked him down mm-hmm. a peg. And he literally tells him through uh, another Greek person that he meets, I'm forgetting the name, from Acts, where he says, I will show him how much he must suffer. For yeah, Ananias. Yeah, Ananias. Yeah. yeah. And it's basically like you're not he's he's basically highlighting the fact that it, that this whole fallacy right that when you when you uh you know ascend to some level of leadership within the church you're gaining anything if anything god is taking you down to where yeah. you should be yeah and um so paul then goes into his own story and anyways we'll get into it next sunday but i remember yeah. like <clears throat> when i was first getting involved in ministry i b- i believe i was reading through the book of acts at the time and i had read that and then I started meeting all these guys who were all excited about getting into ministry. And I'm like, dude, have you read what God said about Paul? Like, like dude, he's going to show you. Oh, yeah. He's going to follow <laughs> me. You know, hey, I want you to, because I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. I'm like, 
why would you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. What, like, have you not read? Like, this isn't cool. But I think with the culture of yeah. celebrityism and celebrity pastors and blah, 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 again, I think that people aren't reading the text and what the reality is. They're reading yeah. an Instagram account yeah. of this famous pastor in New York City or whatever. And they're like, dang, look at those shoes he's wearing. Yeah, I want to be in ministry. You know, it's like, what yeah. the heck is wrong with you? How are you not like, how are you looking at the Bible and then looking at your present experience or what that ambition and seeing how those two things can reconcile together? They can't. Yeah. And, and, and then they're, and then they wonder why they didn't make it to the end. You know, it's because their exhortations were super selfish. Right. And, or, I mean, on the other hand, there's people who maybe are excited about it and they have a pure heart. And they've right. understood your faith. Some of and Paul's other, <laughs> yeah, and some of Paul's other teachings that suffering for his namesake is going to be the best thing you can do with your life. You'll right. never be more fully uh, identified with Jesus in His life than when you suffer. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, and then, yep. then all of a sudden you have a right attitude for being excited about getting into ministry. You know, you're going to suffer. Right. You know, parts of it are going to be really hard and difficult, and that's going to be the best way you could live your life is demonstrating that service and that suffering to the world. Well, that's what he says. And identifying right, and Jesus is never more near to you. (laughs) Right, (laughs) Like, it's, yeah. That's what he says in chapter six that you started, but the next verse, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So you will gain, but you're not going to gain, you know, financially, you're not going to gain temporal power. You're going to gain eternal connection with God. You know, it's like, that is great gain. Godliness with contentment with what yeah, you have yeah, yeah. is gain. And we'll get there later in the in the series. But. Well, because you're not you're not enslaved by a desire for more. You're you're content and, and you have Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like you've already experienced gain. I'm I'm glad you brought that up though, Cody, because I feel like what I've said so far has anybody listening, I'm scaring people out of getting involved in ministry. <laughs> right, right, right. And I mean, certainly there's a healthy fear. (laughs) There is a healthy fear. And yet at the same time, we were like, we were reading that letter a couple of weeks ago that a church planter or a leader sort of sent out to a bunch of churches. And I was reading it and I, yeah, I agreed with it. Essentially, he's talking about a drought of an up and coming generation of preachers and young men who aspire to be in ministry and he sort of diagnoses a few reasons why there was a group of people, but it's pretty obvious. I think that there's not a lot of young men who are looking at ministry and thinking that that is a viable like option for raising a family. Like it, it historically doesn't pay very well. Um, it's stressful yeah. and you deal with a lot of conflict and so it's like why people don't get into politics. It's like, why would I want to do that? And just have people, the media run my stinking name through the mud when I didn't even do anything, you know? And it, I'd rather just go work a normal job and just be happy, you know? And so I think that there's a lot of men who don't aspire to that. There's a lot of parents who don't encourage their kids to pursue those kinds of things. Instead, they want them to be lawyers or or professors or whatever, teachers or different different anything else but getting involved in ministry. And I think that we need more people in ministry. We need more solid, uh, courageous young men who feel equipped, who feel empowered, 
and uh, resourced to, to go do what God has called them to do, mm-hmm. and then support them when they go and do those things. And that's certainly what we want to be about here. That's what Paul is doing for Timothy. Right. And we we want to do that here as well. And and yet do it with realistic expectations. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe we could close the discussion because we're going a little long on the we entailments. We are going a little long. Sure, the entailments. entailments. Yeah. So like, if, if you don't mind, um, let's not do that. Okay. okay. <laughs> Only because... It is long, and I have a lunch. Ah, <laughs> uh, you gotta go. All right, <laughs> to be continued because be I think continued. that's a discussion. Gosh, worth the entailments is good. We should add that to the next. Yeah, one. and I, th- I think maybe we touched on it on another podcast on our on healthy church and other things, but yeah. But I think that Carson quote. Let's revisit. Well, it remember, soon. I t- I somewhat talked about it with the um, Colossians. No, with the Exodus text when it was like, "Hey, you can go into the land, but I won't be there." And how people settle with like God. God was going to give them everything. Oh, like, yeah. You can have a guardian angel. Hmm. You can have peace, hmm. security from your enemies. It's like, yeah, I love all that stuff, but I'm not going to be there. And I think uh, there's a lot of people who settle for that. And I think that's what I was thinking about when you're talking about the entailments. Yeah, is like people will settle with like a form of godliness. Yeah. Look at me. I'm like a pro life person. I'm a pro life person too, but you've made it all about pro-life and not about Jesus or evangelism or whatever, yeah. you know? And, but anyway, I think you're getting into the discussion. Later. I know. You said we're going to table apologize. it for later, <laughs> but we, yeah, I think nice. we should get into that maybe next week. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. Here we go. Volunteer of the week. Volunteer of the week. I have one, but did you guys have a different one? I'm going to give it to Magda. All right, Dude, love it. Yeah, she, uh, she. I mean, she's on our Mexico mission team. She's one yes. of the adult parents. Um, but uh, yeah, after church yesterday, they're still doing some fundraising. We have, you know, some funds to raise still. Um, and uh, Magda is one of the adults who helped with some students uh, to take a lot of heavy stuff out of the McClarity's basement wow. so they could get some flooring wow. done and then put it back. Uh, so I am going to go ahead and give the volunteer of the week to Magda. So if you... Calm down. If you see her, uh, let her know she's the volunteer of the week. Thank her for being a part of our Mexico mission team. Thank her uh, for being a cool member of our church and an awesome uh, parent of a cool student in our student <laughs> ministry. Uh, thank her for what she does. She's got a great personality, super fun to be around. Um, so congratulate her and thank her for being the volunteer of the week. And now it's time for Bible trivia right now. Bible trivia. Rob um, is okay. going to give us a One of the things, So we introduced, you introduced a few uh, theological terms, and I appreciate how you're like, I like to explain these things. I just <laughs> want to say them. You said apostle mm-hmm. and apostles doctrine. So you yeah. define those things for us. So talking about apostles, and of course, Paul is going to continue in his own story, and we'll look at maybe this a little more, but this section is called the company of apostles. And I, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> The question, but let's see if you guys do. Who was the first apostle to be martyred? Mm. Wow. Um, I know what I happens mean, in I Acts. Don't know. I could just take a random guess out of all the, but I don't know this one. I think it's, I want to say it's James, but not James, the brother of Jesus. It was the other James. The son of Zebedee? The son of Zebedee. That's what I think. The son of Thunder? I think that's what it is. I'm going to say. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll just that's say That's where my gut it was going to. happens in Acts. 
I'm that, gonna, remember one of them gets. That's where my gut was going quickly. too. But go go ahead. Let's I'm gonna say. Well, well, you let, me say let me make a guess too. I'll say a different one just because I might I might get it. Um, Mark. He wasn't an apostle. You know, Mark was a follower of Peter. One of the twelve. One of the eleven. Oh, is there a like a Thaddeus, a Mark Thaddeus, or something? I think I don't know, dude. Who? What? Where are all the apostles? Name all the apostles. Don't ask me that. <laughs> I just preached through the Ten Commandments. Don't ask me to even Dude, ask the first those one are. to be martyred. There's like a Bartholomew. There, anyways. Oh yeah. Okay. Who is it? You're not going to take a stab, Aaron. No, I'm. Gonna, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to guess the same All one right, you let's guessed. Let's go. Number one is James. Did, is that what I said? I said James. Yeah, you said yeah. James. Yeah. Not James, the brother of Jesus, though. But, right. That's right. James, the son of, which is the brother of John. Of, of John. James right. and John, the sons of thunder. That's sons right. Thunder, Which makes dude. sense. I mean, you know, he was he was con- he was crazy. You know, <laughs> he was a wild one. Yeah, he's a wild one. He's gonna put himself out there, and he's gonna yeah. get himself Dang. you know killed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Big talker. Who succeeded Judas Iscariot as an apostle? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, did I just say it? Who I think it? you did. Bartholomew. Yeah, Bartholomew. I think it's Bartholomew. It is right? Bartholomew, isn't it? I thought that's what it was. Oh no! It was the other one I said. Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Oh <laughs> man! I thought. It, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> we messed that up. Oh, this one's an easy one to close it out. What apostle was a tax collector from Capernaum? <laughs> Matthew. That's Matthew. Yeah. Matthew. It's got to be Matthew. Let me check. It's got to be Matthew. Oh, maybe I shouldn't hit the China. No, it is. It is Matthew. All for right. those, for all those right. people Killing watching it. the. Um, the Chosen, they're like, oh, we know all this because these are like characters <laughs> in our favorite TV show. Yeah. Gosh, Man, which I guess I got to uh, applaud it. that. But let's look at Apostles more in the coming weeks. Well, yeah, that'd Rob, be cool. good luck this week. <laughs> you got a yeah. great text. Good luck. Thank you for listening to the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.